Well, this morning we are beginning message number 23 in our Believe series. So far we've covered the importance of thinking like Jesus and our need to act like Jesus. And now we are, um, as I said, beginning message number 23 in this These 10 messages, we are focusing in on becoming like Jesus by unpacking 10 key virtues. And these 10 key virtues are referred to in Scripture as the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 20 through 24, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, so far we have looked at, at love and we've looked at joy. And this morning we're diving into peace. Know this, peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is not the absence of trouble. We often think that in order to be at peace, there, there should be no outside disturbances, no outside interferences hindering our peacefulness. But that is not the case at all, is it? Scripture makes it abundantly clear that that's not the case. We read in John 16.33, it says, I have said these things to you, Jesus said, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When you and I find ourselves in Jesus, we will have peace. It is important to note here that Jesus never says that you and I being a Christ follower means that we're going to experience happiness, and we're going to experience bliss in our lives, and we're going to always experience peace as the world defines peace. Last week, we looked at joy, and over and over, we see in Scripture that the disciples experienced persecution, and they experienced turmoil as a result of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were able, though, in the midst of all of this, they were able to to rejoice, weren't they? In the midst of their troubles, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of flogging and stoning and imprisonment, these men of faith and women of faith were able to rejoice. When Jesus hung upon that cross, we read in Hebrews chapter 12 two that Jesus found joy. Hebrews 12 two says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. While Jesus Christ hung upon that cross, scripture says that there was joy and he was able to have joy because he was fulfilling the will of his father. Understand that he certainly didn't experience happiness, but he did find joy. When you and I find ourselves in this world, Jesus promises us that we will have tribulations. So what's the solution for us as Christians? Should we just go out somewhere and dig a hole or find some cliff dwelling or some cave to go live in so that we could be sheltered from the elements of this world? Is that what we should do? 
Then that'd be the easy way out, wouldn't it? But that's not what we've been called to do at all. You and I cannot avoid the very place that the Lord has called us to work in. Just as Adam and Eve were called to work the land of the garden, you and I have been called to work in the midst of where he has placed us right here in the United States. You and I cannot avoid the moments that the Lord promised us that we would have tribulations. We can't avoid the tribulations just like we can't avoid life storms. Some of you this morning, you find yourself right in the midst of life storms. It may be a marital storm that you're experiencing. It may be a family storm. You may be at war with your parents or, or you may be at war with your kids. It may be a health storm that you're going through right now. A personal health storm. Or it may be a health storm that someone in your family is going through. You may be going through a financial, a financial storm this morning or a job storm. I am not sure what kind of storm you find yourself in today, but the Lord does want you to know that in the midst of your storm, you can find peace. In our focal passage this morning, in Mark chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 45 through 51. And this morning, this is going to be one of the two different stories that we're going to read about of Jesus calming the seas of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. Following this, this storm that we're going to read about first, um, before this, Jesus performed a miracle where he took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed 5,000 people, and he even had leftovers. So let's see here in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 51. Let's read together. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. And he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. So the first point this morning is this, gathering storms. Gathering storms. So here is the picture. Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him and sends them out over the, the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible tells us that Jesus went up on the mountainside and he prayed. You know, the weather conditions across the Sea of Galilee can change in an instant. Um, the, the Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains that peak to about 2,000 feet and when that cold air rushes over those mountains and that cold air meets that warm air as it rises above the Sea of Galilee, violent storms can occur without notice. So the disciples, they set sail across what was most likely a very calm weather day to begin with. But the calmness of that day would quickly change. 
Isn't that how life is? One day you're going along at peace with the world and at peace with everything. And then all of a sudden, a storm begins to form in our lives. Think about your current situation or the events that have happened in your recent past. Most of the time when those storms come, you're caught off guard, aren't you? You know the potential of those storms. You know that there's always the potential that something catastrophic can happen in your life. But sometimes we get so caught up in doing life that the reality of an impending storm catches us off guards. Some of us in in this room over the past few months have been... um, trying to rebuild after two major hell storms swept through this area. Without notice, these storms came. We knew the potential of storms of this magnitude because we've either lived through those or we have read about or seen the effects of such storms as we've turned on the television But nothing really can prepare you for the magnitude of life storms until you find yourself right in the midst of those storms. And as I think about my own life over the past few months, and and some of you were hit so much harder than even we were, when these storms came through, after those storms blew through, we were left boarding up windows. We were left trying to find roofers. We, um, some of you were displaced from your homes for a period of time. Uh, many of you had ha- cars that were totaled by the hailstorm. Some of your memories, um, some of your most precious memories were destroyed as a result of the water that you sustained that damage. The disciples knew the dangers of going across the Sea of Galilee on that day. They had gone out into those very waters before, and they had experienced dangerous conditions like they were about to be faced with. Just a couple of chapters before our focal passage this morning, the disciples find themselves in the midst of a storm on those very waters. This time, instead of Jesus being absent from the boat and from the storm, he is in their very midst, asleep in the back of the boat. We read in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 40, It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. You know, just like this earlier storm, the disciples were caught in. They knew that at any moment the seas could turn on them, and that is exactly what happened on that day. When the first storm came, where was Jesus? Jesus was right in their midst. He was in the boat with them. When this second storm came, Jesus, as far as the disciples knew, was miles away. You know, I wonder what kind of emotions must have raced through these disciples on that day. Anger, maybe, because who was it that made the disciples get into the boat to go to the other side? It was Jesus. So do you think they experienced some kind of anger because Jesus forced them to get into a boat and now they find themselves in a violent storm? What about fear? Because at, at, at any moment, the boat that they're in could certainly sink. 
maybe loneliness. Maybe they experienced a little loneliness because if they were to sink, it could be days before anybody realized that the disciples were no longer with them. Or what about resentment? Do you think they resented Jesus for placing them in such a monstrous storm all alone? When you find yourself in the middle of life's storms, faith family, what kind of emotions do you experience? What kind of emotions go through you? Anger, maybe? Maybe fear? Maybe loneliness? Maybe you resent God and others because of the storms that you're in. When the storm clouds are coming, and know that they will come, know that Jesus is never absent from you. He is never absent from your storm. He may not be in the literal boat with you, but he is certainly watching over you and interceding for you. We read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it reads, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Storms will come. And when they come, Jesus does not want you and I to avoid those storms of life. Jesus wants us to endure those storms of life. He wants us to brave the storms because he is right there in the midst of that storm with us, teaching us the importance of trusting in him. Point number two this morning is this. Sometimes those storms are raging storms. In verse 47, we read, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Here's what was happening. In John chapter 6, we read that the disciples were about three or four miles into their journey towards Bethsaida. And the Sea of Galilee stretches about seven miles across. So so the disciples are about halfway um, into their journey whenever this storm becomes violent. The winds pick up and they're blowing right at them, making life difficult, making it difficult for them to make any forward movement. Now, this is long before outdoor motors. This was long before, um, you know, the the boats like we watch when we watch Deadliest Catch and those boats go across that, that, that Bering Sea and they're faced with 30 or 40 feet waves. The disciples did not have that luxury here. All they had in hand was their oars. And they were left fighting with all of their might to get to the other side. Folks, sometimes there will be showers. And sometimes those, those showers will turn into storms. And sometimes those storms will turn into raging storms. Every single one of us in this room, if we live long enough, we will experience raging storms in life. That may be the death of a parent. It may be the death of a spouse. It may be the death, God forbid, of a child. It may be sickness that you go through or someone that you dearly love goes through. It may be the diagnosis of a terminal illness. It may be job loss or financial ruin. Storms of great magnitude will come. 
When they come, how will you weather those storms? How will you endure those storms? You know, one of the most amazing stories that I've ever come across is a story of, of, um, of Nate Saint, or Steve Saint, his son. One of the most powerful acts of love, forgiveness, and God's peace occurred in this story. I want to read to you this. In 1956, Steve Saint was just five years old when his father, Nate, flew a Piper cruiser plane with four other missionaries into the jungles of Ecuador in an attempt to make contact with a dangerous tribe, one of the most dangerous tribes, in fact, known to man at the time, the Wadoni tribe. They were also known as the Aka Indians or Naked Savages. After several months of exchanging gifts with the natives, these five men finally found themselves face-to-face with this tribe. And in an instant, all five of those American missionaries were killed by that Wadoni tribe. One of the men in that tribe that day was a man by the name of Minkai. Minkai was actually the man responsible for the death blow that would kill Nate Saint, Steve Saint's father. Steve said this of that man. He said, I can't imagine not loving Minkaye, a man who has adopted me as his own and the other Wadoni. At the age of nine, Steve would make his way for the first time into the jungles to, to, to be in proximity of the Wadoni tribe. Steve's aunt, Rachel, had been living in the jungles of Ecuador since her brother had been killed. She, like those five men, had been trying to make contact with this tribe. Contact was obviously made, and the gospel was shared, and it took root amongst that tribe. In fact, when Steve was 14 years of age, he and his sister were baptized in the waters right next to where their father was brutally murdered. Steve's aunt Rachel would continue as a missionary amongst that tribe until her death in 1994. After Rachel died, this tribe asked Steve and his family to come and live with them. And for one and a half year, Steve lived in proximity or in the midst of this Wadoni tribe. He said, what the Wadoni meant for evil God used for good. Given the chance to rewrite the story, I would not be willing to change it. Many are troubled by the relationship that Steve had with Minkaye, the man who killed his father. Steve says that their relationship doesn't make sense unless you put God into the equation. And as a result of the death of these five men, thousands of people, thousands of people have been motivated to go and reach the unreached people groups around this world. Steve knows that all of the men died that day a part of God's will. He says, I know that might offend some, but I don't think what happened to my dad and his four friends caught God by surprise. Steve says he believes God was much more involved in what happened that day than merely failing to intervene. He continues and says, I have personally paid a high price for what happened. 
But I have also had a front row seat as the rest of this story has unfolded for a half a century. I believe only God could have fashioned such an incredible story from such a tragic event because those five men were willing to die. Every single person in that village had a chance to live. You know, when you think about Steve Saint, Steve Saint could have responded in so many different ways. He could have become anger and harbored bitterness toward this tribe. He could have told all of the world's missionaries that were committed to go reach the unreached people groups around this world. He could have said, go to every group known to man with the exception of the Wadoni tribe. Because they're a bunch of savages that will murder you on the spot. He could have become so bitter in his heart and had such rage toward God and toward Christ that he turned his back on Christianity. He did not do any of those things. He chose to forgive. He chose to see the Wadoni tribe as a people in desperate need of Jesus. And as a result of that, even to this day, the name of Jesus is magnified in that tribe. And Steve and and Minkaye have traveled all around the world and shared their testimony of God's grace. In the midst of one of life's most difficult storms for Steve's saint. He found peace knowing that God was in in control. Storms will rage in our lives. These will be terrible storms that oftentimes hit without warning. Marital storms, family storms, health storms, financial storms. There is not a single one of us in this room that is exempt from such storms. Know this also. The storms of life are not always a a result of an act of disobedience in our lives. Sure, when we disobey God, storms do occur because of the consequences for our actions. For these disciples in our story this morning, their storm did not come about as a result of their disobedience, did it? Their storm occurred in the midst of their obedience. Who told them to get into the boat that day and go to the other side? It was Jesus, wasn't it? Who caused that storm to sweep across that sea on that day? It was Jesus, wasn't it? We read in Psalm 135, verses 5 through 7, it says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from the storehouse. When life storms come, you and I can give up and allow those very storms to sink us or we can fight with all of our might and press on in the midst of those storms. We can also know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who controls that storm and also the one who can calm that storm. So our third and final point this morning is the calming storms. During life storms, you and I must trust the Lord. Oftentimes, storms actually reveal to us our lack of faith, don't they? When the first storm comes, where was Jesus? 
Jesus was in the midst of the disciples. When the second storm came, where was Jesus? Jesus was up on the mountain praying. You may be wondering, well, what was Jesus praying on that particular day? You know, I don't know what he was praying, but I do believe that he was praying similarly to the way that he prayed in John chapter 17 when he prayed and interceded on behalf of the disciples. In John 17 we read, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, and you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. You know, I believe that as Jesus was watching them in the midst of that storm, I believe that Jesus was praying for them and interceding for them with the Father that they weather that storm well. That they would trust in Him in the midst of that storm and know that He is the only one that can calm the storm of life. You know, Jesus was teaching His disciples something So much bigger than just a weather event in our story today. He was teaching them about life. This is a story about life. Storms will come, won't they? If you live long enough, raging storms will come, won't they? Sometimes those storms will be tornadic. Sometimes they will be Category 5 hurricanes. Sometimes those storms will, will have held the size of cantaloupes in them. When those storms come, know that Jesus has not left you. He has not abandoned you. He has not given up on you in those storms. Jesus is right there in the midst. As we read in Mark chapter 6 again, beginning of the latter part of 48, it says, He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. Jesus did more than watch the disciples on that day. Jesus came to the aid of his disciples. Do you notice here how Jesus approached his disciples? Jesus didn't approach them by swimming out to the boat, did he? Jesus approached them walking on the very waters that he controlled. These waters were so powerful that the disciples felt that they were going to sink. 
Jesus, though, eased their fears by making himself known in the midst of their storms. When the disciples thought they were going to drown, Jesus comes along, walking alongside on the water. When you feel like you are drowning in the midst of life's storms, know that Jesus is on top of those waters. Jesus is on top of the water. He's not, he's not sinking into those waters like you and I might be. Jesus is on top of those waters because he controls those waters. In fact, we read in the first chapter of Ephesians that God put all things under the feet of Jesus. Jesus will always come to our aid. He will always be right there in the midst of our storms to comfort us and to provide for us peace. When you feel like you are drowning in life, know this. Jesus is on top of that water providing for you a way out. We read in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Know this, storms will come. You have a choice when those storms come. You can trust in Jesus, knowing that he can provide calm in the midst of that storm, or you can try to go at life alone. My prayer for each and every one of us in this room is that when storms come, which they will come, we trust in Jesus, knowing that he can control that storm and provide calmness in the midst of that storm. Yesterday morning, um, during our men's breakfast, Nick shared with us, and as he shared, he shared this quote. He said, the storms of our life prove the strength of our anchor. The storms of our life prove the strength of our anchor. How strong is your anchor this morning? How strong is your faith this morning? Do you find your anchor to be the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you find your anchor to be people within this world? Is your anchor Jesus or is your anchor the world? If your anchor is Jesus, then I promise you, you're going to be able to weather all of life's storms. But if you try to go at this life alone, you know what's going to happen? You're going to sink in the midst of the storms that you find yourself in. You may be here this morning, and you may just be struggling in your life. Man, you may be in the midst of some of the most worst storms that you've ever encountered in your life. If that's you this morning then I want you to know right now you can find peace through Jesus. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation. This time of invitation is an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity if you were to die today. Scripture is abundantly clear that we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. If you have Jesus in your heart and you've surrendered your life to following after him and you've repented of your sins and you've cried out to him to be your Lord and Savior, then scripture is abundantly clear that you will spend eternity with him. But if you haven't chosen to follow after Jesus, 
The Scripture is also abundantly clear that because of your sin, you'll be eternally separated from God, and you'll spend eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you in just a moment. We're going to stand together. I'm going to be here at the front. I invite you to come and just say, Hey, Chad, I don't know Jesus. And this morning, I want to make the greatest decision that I could ever make, and that is to trust in Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church for a while, and the Lord is calling you to be a part of this faith family. We invite you to come to make this your home. Let's stand together. And as we stand, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And then after we're done praying, our praise team is going to going to lead us in a time of, 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 of an invitation song. And as they sing, if there's a decision that you need to make this morning, you come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just admitting, Father, that so often in life we try to weather the storms on our own. We try to weather life's storm under our own strength, thinking that we are capable to do it by ourselves without you. And Lord Jesus, I'll be the first one to admit that there's been more times than not, Lord, when I have tried to do it on my own. Lord Jesus, you are the only one that I can trust in to enable me to weather life's storms well. And so, Father, I pray now, Lord Jesus, that if there are some in this place this morning that find themselves in the midst of life's storm, it may be a marital struggle, it may be a health struggle, it may be a financial struggle, or it may be a, a storm within their family that is raging today. Lord Jesus, I just pray that each and every person in this room will turn to you. They will turn to you to be their strength, and they will trust in you. And Lord Jesus, their anchor will be found in you and not in the things of this world. Lord Jesus, if there's someone here this morning, or many this morning, that do not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. And that is to confess you to be their Lord and their Savior. Father, if there's some here this morning that needs to join this church, may this morning be the day that they do that. Lord Jesus, move now during our time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.